Hello, welcome to Toxic to Triumph. My name is Matthew Pfeiffer. I am your host. Today we're going to be talking about spiritual abuse. In the church, people will commonly use Christianity or other spiritual beliefs as a cover-up for abuse, and they will use that as an excuse. I'm going to be talking with my guest, Rachel Myers, all about it. Look forward to having this conversation, and I will talk to you soon. Everyone struggles with anxiety, sleeplessness, and physical pain from time to time, but this could not be any more true than when someone's leaving a toxic relationship. This is the reason why I partner with Healer. Healer has supplements available for anxiety, sleeplessness, and physical pain. It doesn't take away the pain, but it does help make pain, anxiety, and sleeplessness more manageable. If you've been following me for a while, you know that I say you have to feel it to heal it. You do have to process. You do have to manage your anxiety. You do have to manage your pain. You do have to manage your sleeplessness. But you can still have the support needed for those situations because it can be overwhelming, especially when you're dealing with the dramatic effects of a toxic relationship. Go to the link in my bio. You can see it. Healer. And if you use the discount code MAT20, you can have 20% off of any product that they offer. Hello, my name is Matthew Pfeiffer. Thank you for joining Toxic to Triumph. I have Rachel Meyer here. She is a deconstructionist and she, uh, her and I met on TikTok and she talks about spiritual, spiritual abuse in the church, in particular with evangelical Christians. I do want to give a disclaimer that even though we are talking about uh, Christianity, you can, uh, for the most part, you can... In, interpret this to whatever spiritual background that uh, you believe in or that you may be spirit experiencing spiritual abuse because uh, a lot of this translates to other beliefs as well. So Rachel, thank you for joining us uh, and I'll turn it over to you and just give, let, tell us a little bit more about yourself and where you're located. So thank you so much for having me. I was really excited when you reached out. Um, I've done a lot of work, but this is probably something I'm more excited about than other things. Um, but I am located in Atlanta. Uh, my husband and I met out in California at a reformed Bible college, true love story. <laughs> um, and then moved back out to here in Atlanta and have pretty much like settled down, found our roots and, um, hope to continue to live here and, and grow community here. But, um, kind of my background, is that what you wanted me to go into a little bit? Uh, uh, yeah, if you, if you want to, you can go into your background. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, it's actually funny. So with the work that I do, I know I'm kind of just like jumping into it. Um, a lot of people assume that I've been Christian my whole life, but I've actually not been. Um, I was actually raised um, to, my dad was raised in Roman Catholicism and grew up to kind of resent uh, organized religion. So a lot of my childhood was my mom trying to get us to go to church and my dad resisting it and saying that organized religion was controlling all of this stuff. Um, and so I actually grew up an atheist. 
Um, and so I did not convert to Christianity until I was 20, um, after some like life events happened. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, it was like a few years of experiencing a lot in the church. And I think it, it really benefited me because I came in with fresh eyes and as, as an adult, not being indoctrinated from a young age and like very quickly did a turnaround and like saw how much was happening after a few years of experiencing it myself. And, and now I advocate, um, for people who are coming out of that as well. So that's interesting that, um, because I was raised in it and Mm -hmm. one of the toughest things when you're raised in it is that now it's a part of conditioning, Mm -hmm. right? So you are coming with it with a a fresh pair of eyes, but I'm I'm curious because you said that you, you weren't raised in it, but you also went to Bible college where you're looking at becoming a pastor. No. So I converted to Christianity when I was 20. Um, and all of my peers around me knew so much more than me because they had been raised with the Bible stories and all of this stuff. And, you know, I think I saw the Prince of Egypt when I was four and that was my extent, um, of Bible knowledge, I guess, you know, I didn't know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were like different accounts of the same story. I thought it was my concept of the Bible just was not there. Um, And so I had to move out to California to take care of my grandparents. Um, And I found a little Bible college up in Simi Valley. It's called Eternity um, by Francis Chan, if anybody knows who he is. Um, But I started attending there just so that I could get an understanding of the Bible um, in like a a, a setting that would help me learn quickly, you Mm -hmm. know, because church, I was like, so zealous and church just wasn't doing it for me. I wanted to learn as much, make up for lost time, all that stuff. And, um, it actually was a reformed school and I now resent reformed doctrine more than probably any other doctrine for that reason. Um, cause I just saw how much harm it did. Um, yeah. So that's kind of, my goal was never to use it to become a pastor or anything. I just, you know, as a young, zealous Christian, just thought that I was going to like witness to the world, do all those fun things. And that was just going to be something underneath my tool belt to have credibility to speak. Tell me more about, okay, so we know how you got into it. Um, Mm -hmm. When did, when did the light bulbs start going off where you started to question things a bit? So I will use this disclaimer. I was, as I've told you in the past, um, my dad was, you know, very abusive to me growing up. He was a narcissist. And so, and I was his scapegoat. My older sister was his golden child. And it was very obvious that favoritism. Um, And so when I converted to Christianity, I found a mentor who I didn't realize it at the time, but like showed a lot of the same traits as my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, She's a single woman in her forties. I thought she was really incredible. Um, But I had never felt what it was like to be a golden child. So I was receiving this like love and affection from this person. It was like a lot of love bombing, a lot of, you know, as long as I believed what she believed, Mm -hmm. I I was good, you know, And, and it was such an extreme like belief system that she had, like, Mm -hmm. you know, as, as extreme as you can get, you know, like I had, um, like a skull 
on my uh, entryway that was like a like bullhorns or something. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Rachel, you know that that's demonic and you need to take it down. You have a child in your house now. Like, you know, and at the time, like it was, oh yeah, like she would never lie to me. Like she knows everything kind mm-hmm. of thing. And um, in 2015 is when I really started, you know, realizing some stuff that just was not right. Um, because in our relationship, it was like, just so you know, I'm laughing because, uh, I was taught that, um, Scooby-Doo was, de- was demonic. <laughs> <laughs> you like think back to these things and like, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, right. it's just every shadow is like another, like possibility to pull you away from like right. this God that is supreme and like loving and draws you mm-hmm. in and all the stuff that you're told, but then it's like a little like thing that I bought at Target is mm-hmm. going to compromise my, you know, <laughs> relationship mm-hmm. with him. Apparently right. uh-huh. you can't just do it. Right. Exactly. Um, so she, yeah, it was, um, a very dogmatic relationship where I had to continually, it was like, I had a confessional with her every time we talked on the phone. It was really, you know, which was like three times a week, you mm-hmm. know, she, she was like my mom, you know, cause mm-hmm. I'd never known what it felt like to be, poured into and loved in a way that like somebody who is still unhealthy, you know, I, I just didn't recognize it from that side because I'd never been on that side. Did they, did um, they refer to her as your spirit, spiritual mother? Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. Oh, that's what I was going to say. It was mm-hmm. like the exclusivity of our relationship. Mm-hmm. She called me her Timothy and she mm-hmm. was like Paul and she called me Timothy. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, I was so special and I couldn't do anything to mess up that relationship. Um, and it's so crazy just like thinking about it now. Cause you know, she tried to mentor other like young women around my age and she would just always come back to me, Rachel, they aren't like you, you're just, you're special, like all this stuff. And it just like, it really made me feel good because my whole life I had been, you know, emotionally just in, in emotionally lacking in my own relationships with my parents, you know? Um, so yeah. And a lot of people don't understand that golden child syndrome. You know, when people hear me talk about golden, the golden child from a narcissist perspective, they think initially people think that the golden child hasn't made because they're treated well. And I'm doing air quotes for those of you who can't see me. Um, and, but what people don't understand is as the golden child, there's a lot of pressure to maintain that image and a lot of pressure. And it doesn't, it really honestly doesn't feel good to the, to the golden child. So I I imagine that's how you felt, you know, at the time, um, you know, just a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, How does this trans, how does this transition from you being her golden child, being her Timothy and her being Paul and everything to you go, you now start this deconstruction. And, and, and as we're talking about deconstruction, what, what exactly is deconstruction? So deconstruction is like a festering of questions and unrest and just like an undeniable pain, like Mm -hmm. in your current situation where it just seems impossible to keep on going down the same path. Or if you are going down the same path, it just is like, compromising a lot of like mental health and um what you know like in your heart of hearts is not right Mm -hmm. 
And so a lot of deconstruction is confronting those things maybe for the first time in your life. Cause I know a lot of Christianity preaches self-denial, mm-hmm. um, which like translates over into self-hate. Like people think that self-denial is self-hate when that's a whole different conversation, but um, it's like surfacing these questions and being honest with yourself for the first time of what's painful and what is harmful thinking within Christianity that you've been taught. Mm-hmm. Um, and so deconstruction is like pulling that string of, okay, here's my first question. And then it just all unraveling and you mm-hmm. just realizing and coming to terms with the fact that maybe what you've been told your whole life isn't what you believed it to be, or, you know, maybe there are alternative views out there that you never considered before. Cause you were told they were demonic or backsliding or falling away. Um, and it's a really, really painful process. I remember through my deconstruction, um, which started in 2015, which I'll get back to in a moment. Um, it was like the worst depression I think I'd ever been through. And I have been through so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was not only like the judgment of people, but you are terrified that this like all knowing loving father who mm-hmm has the ability in that belief system to send you to hell in a moment to, you know, end your life, to do all of these things, like make you suffer to come back to him, discipline Mm -hmm. all like all of these things. So it's, it's constant fear. It's constant pain. Like what if I'm wrong, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's not ending because he's omnipresent. He's omniscient all you know, he's, inside, so, he's inside of you. He's in your mind. He's in your heart. So even if you think these things, <laughs> you're going to hell and you shouldn't even, you know, God forbid, like you find another woman attractive. I'm not even talking about lusting over her, but you know, when you don't even really know yourself, like you, like, is this lust or am I just tr- genuinely attracted? Like, you know, um, you know, because I want to have sex with this girl, but I, you know, I'm not married and I'm only, you know, 15, you know, and I'm still learning myself, let alone like, you know, this, this father figure God who's inside of me, who knows every single thought. And so, um, yeah, it it can be, it can be, it can be intimidating. Right. And it like nowhere feels safe. Mm -hmm. Like even when you get rid of triggers and people like leave you alone, um, about your beliefs, it's like, you still feel very unsafe and insecure because it's, it's in your head, you, can't mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so a lot of deconstruction is reclaiming that autonomy and agency that the church does not foster. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like what I've learned through my own process and my own healing is um, at, like when I converted to Christianity, it was like my age- agency flew out the window. Like mm-hmm. I, was socially awkward for the first time in my life. Like I was really confident. Um, and then I came to convert and, and not everybody experiences this, but I know for me, um, it was like, okay, I have to keep up with these people. I have to, you know, be a Christian. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, it means loving God. Okay. Well, I'm going to love God the best because, you know, it's going to cover up everything that I hate about myself, but then my self-hatred just kept on getting worse and worse, Mm -hmm. you know, the more I was failing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people say that Christianity is about morality and, and knowing the measure of morality. Um, but I, when I was an atheist, didn't do anything incredibly immoral talking about like 
you know, I don't want to address anything that like you would consider more. I don't want to like shame anybody, but right. you know, then when I became a Christian, it was like, okay, the list of immoral things are now indefinitely more wrong mm-hmm. where I was not really harming anybody before Christianity. And now it's like, everything is a harm, mm-hmm. you know, in, in terms of morality. So mm-hmm. it just became very strenuous and, you know, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, deconstruction is just a process of con- confrontation and yeah. realizing that you are worth finding the answers Mm -hmm. and you are worth healing in a way that is something that works for you because it's not a one size fits all. Some people can do reformed Christianity, evangelical Christianity, and they don't experience trauma from it. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of view that as a privileged thing because Mm -hmm. a lot of people do go through trauma and there's generational trauma in their life where they can't just pray and read the Bible and feel um, because there's CPTSD, there's OCD, there's ADHD, there's, you know, a lot of other brain behaviors that you can't just simply do, you know, spiritual bypassing with. Right. Absolutely. Um, And so for somebody who hasn't been traumatized and has safe attachment in their family, that seems absolutely shocking that Mm -hmm. somebody can't just pray and read the Bible to overcome certain obstacles, right? you know, um, because it's from a place of privilege. You did Mm -hmm. not have to go through what a lot of people go through in their lifetime Mm -hmm. and, and have to do other things for healing. And when, Um, when does this get, when does this trans, um, when does this move over from, you know, just kind of a problem and uh, indoctrination and, you know, these head games, we'll call them, right? And about morality mm-hmm. into spiritual abuse. I think anybody denying somebody's agency, mm-hmm. um, using fear and manipulation as a way to ensure that you stay within a specific belief system or. I want to, before you go to the next point, I want to add two more to that fear. Yes. Um, because uh, when we're talking about fear and when we're talking about manipulation, we have to talk about um, what's called I'm losing my train of thought. Um, emotional blackmail, fear, obligation, and guilt. Right? Yeah. Those are the three things that emotional that um, emotional manipulators, especially in the church, use and make you feel obligated. Right? Because if you don't, God sees you. Mm-hmm. you guilty if you don't do this because. Um, you know, because now the church is going without uh, things like that. But um, I was going to say, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I did mean to cut you off, but go ahead, continue. Cut me off. You are (laughs) the professional. So anything that you have to add is amazing. Um, And I think when somebody says that the way that you are choosing to heal is wrong Mm -hmm. and tries to have, tries to interject their understanding onto you, Mm-hmm. Um, cause that like that right there just negates anything that the person is experiencing and making their lived experience less than, and, and puts it under to how, how, how do I say this makes it they devalue it? not about the person. Yeah. They de- devalue the person mm-hmm. and it's, it's no longer about them. It's only about protecting this belief system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because like the more work I do, the more like hostile 
I realize people in evangelical Christianity and certain types of Christianity are because you're challenging this thing that they've been trained to defend. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you critique the church and church practices and toxic theology, which were never uh, meant to become theological concepts, mm-hmm. it is like attacking them, mm-hmm. you know, because they have been told that their life and their worth is to defend the gospel. Mm-hmm. And like anything that you do to defend the gospel is love. Mm-hmm. And so love then becomes whatever, you know, the end justifies the means. Mm-hmm. So if you are traumatized, and I had a friend specifically say this to me, I was in her wedding, best friend, roomed with her at Bible college. Um, I had a friend say to me, who was no longer my friend, that because I was traumatized by the gospel and things that I experienced in the church, it's because I never knew the real Jesus mm-hmm. because theology is supposed to be painful and the gospel is supposed to be painful. And therefore, because it got to the point of traumatizing me, it was uh, just because I'm, I never was saved, you know? And it's yeah. like that, like that cognitive dissonance. And I know that's kind of like a poppy word right now, but to convince yourself that theology and a relationship with Jesus actually is supposed to be painful to the point of traumatizing mm-hmm. um, is not it no. <laughs> to simply put it like that. And, you know, it, it it's, when you're dealing with people like that, it's very like circular where it's like, okay, you're saying that this God is healing and it's going to make life better. And, you know, I'm going to have peace. And then you're also saying that, it's traumatizing, right? That yeah, I'm supposed to was that exalt your feelings over him, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, cast your cares on him. Just that, you know, which is you know, when when we're talking um, professionally, when we're talking clinically. No, you can't just cast your care, you know, act like things aren't happening. Cast your cares on other people and things like that. You actually have to process your emotions, you know. So th- those type of things, hundred percent, don't don't work. They definitely don't fly. Um, what about? You know, when spiritual abuse, when it comes to like the actual leadership and pastors, is that something that you see, you have seen often or have experienced or other people have experienced? Yeah. Um, I think that the institution does a very good job at protecting abusers because Mm -hmm. to the outside world, they need to look perfect. And so case in point, and I'm going to name drop, um, Ravi Zacharias. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you knew who he was. Um, he passed away last year of cancer, sadly, but um, he was accused of sexual assault mm-hmm. and a lot of victims came forward while he was still alive and he sued them to silence them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ministry did no, you know, no investigation of their own, nothing. You know, they just went with Ravi's word, all of that stuff. Um and he is like one of the biggest uh, apologists, I think I'm saying that correctly, um, that is like world renowned, mm-hmm. you know, really, really brilliant mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I disagree with him wholeheartedly with his theology, um, but, you know, a very respectable person in that way. So after he passed away, it was, it came back up and a lot of his victims again came forward and the ministry released a statement like, we didn't know um it's coming out that these accusations are true all of this stuff and it was one of those moments of like reflection where they absolutely did know Mm 
Mm-hmm. And they did not take accountability and instead they victim blamed. Mm-hmm. And that is where the church really, really thrives is that they don't, they might recognize areas where people aren't perfect in the church. The church was never supposed to, you know, be perfect at whatever. Um, but the gaslighting manipulation and victim blaming that is placed on an individual believer mm-hmm. um, by the institution is like a very, very common way to practice spirituality mm-hmm. in, in the institution. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I go to church and I have a hard time with a certain way that a, a leader is behaving. You know, I just have to trust Jesus more. Mm-hmm. I just have to, you know, trust my leadership more. Mm-hmm. I have to take it up with God. It is my responsibility to suppress what I know is abuse and abusive theology because I'm not allowed to challenge that. Mm-hmm. I have to take it up with God. Yep. And so it like creates this like cycle of, okay, well, anytime I try and challenge anything, it's just, it, it always turns back on me. I'm not trusting God enough. I'm not. So it keeps like this, it, it keeps victims in their place. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very, very hard to break that cycle. And narcissists are protected, especially in that environment because you know, if we're talking about like the golden child or like Mm -hmm. the golden system, like their uh, staff is afraid of them usually, or not afraid of them like here, but they're afraid of them. If they make a wrong action or they speak out against them, they'll lose their golden child status. Mm -hmm. They'll lose that place in leadership. And so it's like the pastors don't even really have to do anything. They have Mm -hmm. their like congregants doing the work for them, mm-hmm. which become their flying monkeys and their, their, um, their narcissistic harem is basically what yeah. it is, you know? And, um, you know, I, I know some people are saying that not all churches are bad and I, I get that and I understand that, but it is very problematic and it's problematic in a lot of churches. And even if you have a great pastor, you can have some terrible assistant pastors or vice versa or, um, and, the, the problem is, is that um, when we talk about abuse and we talk about a narcissistic mask, um, people use places like the church as a part of that mask. Because when people tell you that they're Christian or you see people carrying a Bible and things like that, you assume that they are moral, exactly how you were talking about earlier, right? That they're moral, that they are going to make good, make the right decisions, yeah. that they are there to help. Um, it's just like someone, in, like a police officer, if they're, you know, or a firefighter, that if they're in uniform, right, that you just assume that they're going to do the right thing, but that's just not always the case. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's part of it is like, especially from like a child's perspective, you're indoctrinated from a very young age to trust your leadership, not question it. Or like, they'll be like, you know, my leader's not like that. They always let me question well, do they always have a hand in pointing you back to the same thing? Mm -hmm. And I know that's kind of their job, but at the same time, like there's a point where it becomes too, too, too much and Mm -hmm. and too controlled and Mm -hmm. there is no freedom and they don't realize it because it's all they've ever known. So like a pastor to them is supposed to always point them back to the specific theological understanding of God. You know, there is, and there's heavy fear mongering around 
if that doesn't happen, you know, oh yeah, go, go question, have fun prodigal son, you know? And it's like, Mm -hmm. man, that's so like, Mm -hmm. you're immediately labeling somebody as lost and Mm -hmm. broken if they start questioning. And so they have this like belief of themselves that, okay, I have these questions, but if I don't take them seriously and I don't take my gut feeling and my God-given like instinct serious consideration that I'm okay because I'm not a prodigal son. I'm not broken. Mm -hmm. You know, God still loves me all of this stuff. And it's just like, yeah, we, we should in, in for people listening, you should 100 regards if we're talking about church or like a workplace environment, you should be able to ask questions, right. Without being ridiculed, you should be able to, and uh, you should be able to check that with multiple resources. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, uh, even people that I work with, I don't send them only to my videos. I send them to multiple people's videos so then they can come to their own conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they do their own research. And, uh, and by doing that, uh, it allows for people, um, you're really empowering people instead of making decisions for them. But when you're sending them to just one source the entire time, mm-hmm. right, you're, it's nothing short of brainwashing. Yeah. Manipulation. And I, I think that's what's sad is like a lot of people experiencing that golden child effect or, mm-hmm. you know, denying themselves, exploring, questioning. It's this false sense of security mm-hmm. um, and, it, and it keeps them stuck. And I always go back to, all right, when I started questioning, my questioning be- began in Revelation. That mm-hmm. really was like the pull and un- mm-hmm. unraveling for me. Um, truth should stand, mm-hmm. you know, and the more that I, I looked into things, the more I was getting really uncomfortable under certain leadership at the church, really uncomfortable uh, by certain like rules set in place. Mm-hmm. You know, I found a really awesome church, uh, before the pandemic. Um, and I found out that they didn't let LGBTQ people in leadership. And mm-hmm. I, I left because mm-hmm. it was not something that I was comfortable with. Yeah. You know, that's not. And so it just, where before it would be like, okay, I can overlook that. Now it's like, I, I will not compromise, mm-hmm. you know, and I will not let what I feel is love and truth and my healing and my advocacy for somebody um, get in the way of theological understanding. Mm-hmm. Because if there is a God and mm-hmm. there is an all loving, all knowing deity, mm-hmm. um, I, I hope that he would understand when I die that I did everything that I could to love his children. Mm-hmm. And I can't consciously attend a church. I know that suppresses and oppresses people that are his children, right? Um, whether it's scriptural or not, right. you know, um, it, it's interesting that you, you say that. Cause uh, I, you know, I, I posted a video the other day, about, um, you know, questioning someone who was questioning certain music that people are listening to. And if you go to the comments, you know, people were saying things like, um, you know, they're talking about purity and they were talking about, you know, you should, you know, it's not in God's will to listen to this type of music. 
you know, and the problem that I have with it and really what I was trying, and I wish I had five minutes to speak on it because really what I wanted to point out to people is everyone's worried about the music you listen to, you know, Scooby-Doo and every, uh, you, uh, the horns from, you know, Target, you. you know, the words that you say, because someone pointed out the fact that uh, I, I used vulgar language, um, but I don't hear. I don't hear pastors talking about abuse from the pulpit. I don't hear them talking about real live issues, you know? And to me, if I, if to me, if God is more concerned with me saying a borderline swear word or the music that I listen to, and he's more concerned with that than he is in impurity, than he is with abuse and uh, people being manipulated and people being in domestic violence in the home, you know, is it really a loving God? Because that's the presentation that the church is giving. Yeah, I completely agree. And a lot of what I studied um, in my degree was mission work. And um, so this was after the Reformed College when I um, was receiving my degree in religion from a secular university. And it was from scholarly sources um, that were not opinion-based, which I appreciate. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of it was looking at the roots of how mission work got started. And we did a lot of study of um, the Norwegian Mission Society in Zuland, uh, Zuland, sorry, I kind of brushed over that, <laughs> but um, how when the Norwegian Mission Society brought over uh, the gospel to the Zulu people, they did so by bringing their culture Mm -hmm. And so it was um, the Zulu people went off a month schedule, um, not a week. They had circle houses. Um, they dressed differently. And when the Zulu, or I'm sorry, when the Norwegian uh, missionaries created houses, um, they were square. They started making people go off of a seven day uh, week. They had a requirement for dressing if you were to be under their school. Um, and, and they built their fencing around areas that people needed to walk through to get to different parts um, and tax people as they were walking through. I thought that that was so interesting. Mm -hmm. So they come to Zululand and tax the natives mm -hmm. to walk through. It just, anyway, all that to say, um, what I have a problem with is that God would bless uh, colonization mm -hmm. and especially the roots of America, mm -hmm. <laughs> if we want to look at that. But, you know, and that that was OK, mm -hmm. you know, like killing, mass murdering, displacing. Right. Um, that's moral. Mm -hmm. And then you know, especially the rise of what's been happening this year. I don't want to get political, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of hypocrisy that's in the church that's making a lot of people upset. How the mark of morality now is a particular party. Mm -hmm. and if you're not in that particular party, Jesus is going to come back and save us from you guys, mm -hmm. you know? So it was okay when you know, everybody came over and colonized and murdered and sexually assaulted and all of those things. Jesus, Jesus didn't come back then, mm -hmm. but he's going to come back now, you know, when 
I think that social justice and all of this movement is actually pleasing and it's, yeah. and it's right, but mm-hmm. it's just such this jaded idea of self-love is bad, mm-hmm. advocating for uh, certain things are bad mm-hmm. and, and, and Jesus needs to come and save us from that. That, that just blows my mind and why I have such an issue with, morality in the church because Mm -hmm. it's skewed and it's so based off of these purity culture, you know, which is notorious to, of being harmful and it does victim blaming. Mm -hmm. It uh, excuses sexual assault because it's Mm -hmm. the woman's fault. Mm -hmm. Um, It, oh my gosh, like (laughs) you could go on and on, but Mm -hmm. that's not a problem Mm -hmm. because it somehow leads to, women keeping their virginity until marriage, which yeah. it doesn't, right. it just breeds shame, you know, Rachel, thank you very much. We are running out of time, but I could uh, talk, to, I could talk about this with you all day because <laughs> it's uh, you know, it hits a little too close to home, but I'm definitely going to be watching Scooby-Doo from now on. Yeah. And um, you know, so I'm gonna go buy a statue from target. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. You go, you go buy a statue. I'm going to go watch Scooby-Doo. Um, but if you, anyone who's listening, if, if you want to follow Rachel, and if you want to know more about what she does and want more information from her on Instagram, you can go to your favorite hair, your favorite heretics. And on TikTok, it's at carrot slayer. And those will be in the show notes. Um, and, but once again, Rachel, thank you very much. Do you have any closing thoughts or if you want to just say bye to everyone? It was wonderful being on here. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. Your healing's worth it. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you.